Hey boys, happy new year. Yeah. It's been, I feel like it's been a month it's since we've got together. Sorry. It's been one month since I've talked to you. That's about right. And you yeah. both have really good timing for today's episode because we got our first snow yesterday. And we got a birthday boy in the episode. <clears throat> I was going to say crowd, happy, but... Happy birthday, Kirby. Oh, his birthday is coming up. Oh, shit. No, it's not Kirby's birthday. It's Alex's birthday. And he's spending it recording an episode of Splatter Brains, and we're going to make it fun. I miss my adoring fans, and I didn't want to let it go. And also, it's a Tuesday, and who the fuck cares about Tuesday? <laughs> oh. Was... No, no. No, no. No sadness. This is not a sad thing. I, I had plenty of nice things that I did with friends over the weekend, so we're good. Everything's great. I just didn't need to do a day of this year. That's fair. That's fair. Do you have any? Do you have a good birthday memory from the past you'd like to share? Does it have to be horror related? Well, in and of itself, birthdays are horrific, so Mm -hmm. it's implied by whatever story you tell. (laughs) I remember thinking when I turned twenty-five how scary it was that I was going to be thirty soon, and now I am closer to forty, and that fucking sucks, man. Mortality, am I right? <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I'm, you know, if you had to round up, that's where you'd put it. Oops. Apart from remembering your trip out of the birthing canal, what have you guys been up to? That was heavy. Um, I did watch a horror thing recently. I went to see Night Swim within a week of it coming out in a theater of, I believe, six people. I'm really thankful that you're bringing this up in, on the intro to our podcast and not for us to do an episode on, so I don't have to go see it. So thank you, Nikki. I did see it with one of our pals, and he said, oh, well, great, you guys could do an episode on it. I said, my guy, there's maybe 10 minutes worth of content, of discussion content on this movie, so it is very good that we have not chosen to do this as a topic. It feels like... um well, I was going to say it feels like a movie that should be, and Alex, this is something you say a lot, a movie that could have been a fun short, like an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, which there is about a haunted pool, and it, they did it better. And that's my take on Night Swim. It's the same director, I think. I think. Because when I was at Comic-Con, I went to the Blumhouse thing where they introduced this movie. They showed a trailer for this. They showed a trailer for Five Nights at Freddy's. I could be wrong about that because the chances of me paying really close attention and remembering anything three months later, other than thinking Jason Blum's stupid face was uh, even more full of shit in person, we're never getting sponsored. Um, Yeah, I I believe it was the same thing. They picked up the short film and then they made it into the full one. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, wait, you aren't saying that this director, his name is Bryce McGuire. You're not saying that he made the Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. You're saying it was a That's short. I oh, I didn't realize you were suggest- or saying it was related to an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode being the, the weird, creepy pool monster. No, there was a short film this was based on. I know that for sure. I'm pretty sure it's the same people that expanded it into the full-length movie. I see. No, I was just saying this movie should have been a short, a la an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, and then related it to an existing Haunted Pool episode. So, we're, it, we're all it, on the same page now. It was a short film that got picked up. I know that. Well, should have uh, started a short film. 
It's, I mean, so was Pixels. That's the last example I can think of where you're like, well, we made that into a full movie. Maybe we shouldn't have. Maybe science has gone too far. Speaking of uh, Jason Blum, I watched uh, <laughs> The Exorcist Believer. That was fucking just boring and dumb. You wouldn't say there's 10 minutes of content to talk about that movie? Not even, dude. Ugh. It's stupid. Tell me, tell me, what inspired you to watch it after all the sort of anti-hype that it got? I, sometimes that's uh, what inspires me, so who knows? My wife. My wife, we were just scrolling through uh, Peacock, and I was going to put on the um, uh, Please Don't Destroy movie, the guys that do the SNL skits. Because um, they have like a movie on Peacock. It looks goofy. So I was gonna, just going to put that on like it was yesterday or something like that, just the middle of the day while Marty was uh, taking a snooze in my arms. And instead, uh, she saw The Exorcist Believer and got me to turn that on. And it's just boring and dumb. Like... There's nothing happens, nothing, nothing good, nothing scary, nothing interesting. What? Okay. So as far as like modern attempts at doing Halloween 2018, would you say, which takes the cake, uh, Texas Chainsaw or this? Probably this Texas Chainsaw at least had stuff in it that was happening that you could say, like, all right, that's cool. Like the bus scene alone was fine enough to be like, all right, sure. This just nothing happened. Nothing scary. Nothing happened. Nothing interesting. There's two girls possessed by a demon. Now, who cares? Who cares? They don't do anything interesting with it. I guess maybe the end, like spoilers, like the demons are like they're trying to like exercise both girls at once, and the demons are like you have to choose one. <laughs> then like the white girl's dad, who was like not interested in being involved, like after like a couple of minutes, goes, "I choose. I choose my daughter. My daughter. Save her. Save her." And then they actually kill her, and the the main character's daughter lives. It was just dumb. They got bamboozled. It was stupid. So, did you leave a letterboxed review of this? Because I need to re-download that and look at it. Or does it just say, who cares? <laughs> Pretty much. I did leave a letterboxed review of it. Okay. Let's take a look. Uh, pull up my little diary here. Give it yep. one star. Oh, I actually said a lot more than I... I don't know if you guys can see that. I, said, I wrote a paragraph. Pretty boring throughout. Apart from the predictable jump scares, the film is really lacking anything substantially scary. If you've seen any other possession movie, you've seen a better possession movie than this. But there are two possessed people you may be seeing. So what? Nothing interesting is done, and the movie lacks any sort of heart, despite trying to make you believe it has one. They trotted out Ellen Burstein and Linda Blair for the most half-hearted attempt at a recall yet. Please let this be the end of the attempts to make more Exorcist films, as well as the end of the creepy kid subgenre. Okay, that final sentiment is a hot take. End of the creepy kid subgenre. I don't I'm disagree per se. I don't agree or disagree, but I just I like the hot take. Um, well, speaking of hot takes, I have one other horror related thing, and it's going to revisit a Butterbrains debate from about a year ago. I have been re-watching the entire Jurassic Park franchise. I'm currently starting Jurassic World, but started with Jurassic Park 1, 2, and 3. And, I mean, you guys, it's a fucking creature feature. It Because I had just watched Godzilla King of the Monsters like the week before, and the beats are the same. Like, the T-Rex is a monster. And I don't remember who disagreed, but I'm on your side debate. with that. Really? I, am, I, I think you were the one that said giant animal movies don't count. I no. feel like you're arguing with yourself. I'm not kidding. We need to revisit. Oh, really? 
I thought you were the like Jaws isn't a creature feature, and I was like, you fucking kidding me right now? Not that you don't like the movies, just that you don't consider them creature features, which I do think the giant animal subgenre is creature features. Yeah, actually, not you say that. Maybe I was making. Yeah, there was definitely there's uh, something about I'm, Jaws. I'm reigniting a debate with myself today. I know I'm fighting with myself <laughs> in the past, Who which is Who said it. Come at me. Oh, it was me. Classic okay. me. Okay, so we all agree then that Jurassic Park is like low key kind of a horror franchise, yes. sort of under yeah. the umbrella. It, it scared you as a kid. It's it is definitely considered that way. I think the first one is set up like a horror film. The T Rex scene. I just it's funny because watching it as an adult. I'm like, this is so much darker than I remember it being as a kid. And then Jurassic Park 2 is poopy in my diaper. I do actually like Jurassic Park 3 other than Tealion's character. Really? I, I was going to say it's a hot take. I saw it a lot as a kid for whatever reason, just with friends. Yes. And so I have a lot of nostalgia for it. I've yeah, never I seen think. it, um, but I know somebody, I, like, I don't know, somebody came back to either write for it or something. But, uh, and I think that the dinosaur in it that was featured in the ads is very cool looking. Spinosaurus. But I don't uh like the weird aquatic one that they had looked yeah. pretty cool. But I that one in Jurassic World is good, but Jurassic Park three, they bring a bigger dinosaur that actually doesn't look as scary as a T-Rex, but they essentially make it fight a T-Rex so that you know it's bigger and stronger. But it doesn't look as cool as the original T-Rex. And Jurassic World, I'm only like 20 minutes in, we had to pause it. But like that fucking sea aquatic dinosaur. I saw I saw the movie once in theaters and I haven't revisited since. So anyway, that's well, my you're, journey. Oh, you're, you're talking about worlds. I was thinking of the one in three that the advertisements had that had all the spikes and shit. Yeah. Whatever that. I thought you meant when you said aquatic one. I thought you were referring to the big one in Jurassic World. But I think anyway. there's just like a flooding scene where you see the spines out of the water, kind of like a almost like a um, shark yes. scene, but yes. it's a Tyrannosaurus looking dinosaur. But I haven't seen it. It's just my memories of seeing advertisements for it as a kid and then people saying that it sucked. Even though I liked The Lost World when I was a kid, um, I have strong feelings about Jurassic Park as far as like the franchise because I think the first one's really good. And then those were the first books. Like My mom had played the audiobooks in the car with me, and so we like read them together. So we read both The Lost World and the first Jurassic Park. And I got to actually notice a difference between a movie and a book and... I, I I like them a lot, but I think Jurassic World is a poop franchise. There. Yeah, I haven't seen any past the first Jurassic World. You don't really want to. Nor do I. Movie. There's three of them, aren't there now? Yeah. Okay. I'll I thought maybe the there was just for you guys. Thank you. It. Let us know how the everybody comes back for the third one goes, because I am at least curious about that. Oh, I didn't even know they came back. Yeah, we got a lot of the cast from the first one and the newest one, but I didn't hear anything about it. Dude, everybody loves uh, Jeff Goldblum, and for good reason, like especially in the Jurassic Park movies. But I just fucking love Sam Neill as uh, Dr. Grant. He was he was one of my favorite characters as a kid. Is it because he yeah. scares the kid at the beginning of the first one? Probably. He goes like, bah! He says the babies smell. Babies do smell. I believe that. We were joking. I didn't even remember in the second one how basically like dinosaur makes it to the big city. And so we were kind of joking about like alternate titles for the Lost World, like Jurassic Park, Lost World, uh, like T-Rex in Manhattan or like Jurassic Central Park, the third. 
These aren't good examples. It's really funny when we yeah, were talking it's, about it's, it yesterday. No, it's, I'm slapping my knee over here. Jurassic Central Park is pretty fucking funny about a T-Rex taking over Central Park. You ever see We're Back? No. Oh, boy. I've seen We're Back so many times. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Uh, it's a roll back about. the rock, turn back the clock. Yeah. That movie is such a fun revisit as an adult because it's like an hour and four minutes long. Clearly <laughs> edited really poorly and went through development hell, and it feels like half a movie. It's so weird. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, Anyways, speak- let's uh, move on to. <laughs> Speaking of weird, uh, welcome to Splatterbrains, your number four favorite podcast dedicated to all things horror, terror, freaky, and frightening. We have not seen you since last year. Isn't that funny to say in January? Yeah. Yes. Every time. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, um, and because of which, um, Brad suggested today, uh, through sheer coincidence, because you suggested, what, two weeks ago? Something like that? Was yeah. it really snowy and shitty in Chicago when you suggested no. that? Okay. It snowed well, the, the first time, like, the weekend after. Yeah, we, we just got snow here in Jersey for the first time this year, and it was pretty bad. And then it rained all of this morning, but it was still freezing. So everything is just ice. Wonderful. We've been in a beautiful deep freeze hellhole for like three days. And I think it'll end tomorrow. And the weather channel is trying to be like, Chicago will experience about a 30 degree jump and we'll get some relief on Wednesday because it'll go from a wind chill of negative 30 to about zero. So we're supposed to be happy starting tomorrow. Great. Yeah, my my boss ended up. Uh, who lives in uh, the Chicago area just had to not work today because the, all the schools were closed there. So I got to experience your windshield without actually having to experience it. We already kind of introed the episode and then I didn't say what it was. Brad, what was the topic you wanted us to talk about today? I wanted us all to talk about snowbound horror and some movies set in and focused on the horror of being isolated and in the cold and snow. So we watched a few movies. Uh, which one should we just kind of rattle through the movies we watched and jump into them? Or do we want to let's a little preamble? Let's end on the shining. And uh, you want to start with frozen just because it's the most, uh, I guess disposable compared to the other two movies versus the topic at hand. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Okay. I don't need to dictate the order of operations here. It just feels like I need to get that out of the way as soon as possible. Part of me thinks we should like summarize frozen in the lodge because i think a lot of the themes are going to relate to each other and to me that's maybe a little more interesting than like doing a full deep dive of each yes to allow us to weave in between what do we did think? frozen have themes yeah i i was thinking about cold Ice. and isolation and obviously it's a much lower budget than a lot of these other films uh it felt very much like a mid-2000s um rent it was like a um, late DVD era blockbuster rental for me. And I didn't know it was the same director as Hatchet and that there was a crossover in that until I watched it again and looked stuff up the other day. I just knew what it was from other horror things that I was watching in 2010. And the fact that it, you know, lol shares movie with Disney. There's movie title, which by the way, I also watched for the first time yesterday. Never seen it. We can talk about that today too, if you want. Yeah, no, that's okay. All right, cool. Cool. All right, Frozen. It is a 2010 film uh, directed by Adam Green, who also wrote it. 
starring Sean Ashmore, Emma Bell, and Kevin Zegers. Sean Ashmore of Iceman fame. So it's very funny that he's scared of the snow in this movie. But So uh, Frozen is about three skiers stranded on a chairlift who are forced to make life-or-death choices, which prove more perilous than staying put and freezing to death. Discuss. <laughs> when you Brad brought up the, brought up the isolation of winter and just cold as sort of the antagonist of the film, I think of this movie because of the fact that frostbite is more or less the the problem here, but it's got it it feels older than it actually is. Like it feels very much like um like musical choices and the style of dress and even the camera it was shot on feels like the early two thousands to me. Like it could be almost like a teen comedy, uh, like a low budget teen comedy, but it's, you know, it's a, a horror film where they're stuck. Um, and as somebody who spent many a time on a ski hill, I was always like, Ooh, it's so cool. They're stuck on the ski lift, but there's a lot of things that happen in this movie that I think are unique to the movie and not to real life. Yeah. This movie, my second time watching this, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, is ultimately a comedy of errors. But at the same time, I think because I watched this back to back with The Lodge today and it really does kind of hammer home the horror of winter and just like the bleakness of the elements. And I think regardless of how it uh, is done effectively or ineffectively in Frozen, so I did kind of enjoy rewatching it for that aspect because there's a lot of silly choices that the characters make, of course, which is half the fun. But also I'm like, but yeah, I mean, I guess the alternative is what do you do? Just sit there and like let yourself die of frostbite. Uh, so it, it was kind of fun for that aspect and kind of watching these back to back and in sub-zero Chicago weather kind of made me be like, I relate to this. Yeah, Nikki, you kind of touched on some like things that were happening in the movie. Um, I think of the three, the thing I appreciated about this movie, like the one thing I'll say, uh, spoiler about my final thoughts for this movie, but the one thing I appreciated is that the sort of snowbound uh, theme that we're kind of exploring and like the winter and the elements are a much bigger, bigger physical threat and antagonist in this movie than they are the other two. Um, mostly because the other two aren't necessarily about surviving the elements, and this one is. But this does do a good job of saying, like, hey, like the elements are bad. <laughs> the elements can harm you and can lead to negative things. Like somebody that like would be like, oh, why is this scary? Uh, it's just cold. So it is neat in that regard. But I have a lot of other thoughts. While I was watching it, I, I realized I was like, well, no, the theme of the other ones is that the cold is. Um... It, it sticks people together and it's more about like being stuck than it is about the actual cold and the snow where I was like, Oh, cold and snow. Blah, blah. Um, so yeah, this is me admitting the difference. Brad, tell me more about your final thoughts on, on uh, frozen. I think just apart from like it being a little bit dated, like I think at one point, like Sean Ashmore's character said snowboards are too, are emo or something like that, which made me laugh. Um, <laughs> uh, I th think the fact that this is like a survival movie and it's written like they're in the, the snow, they're in the cold, they need to survive. And that's the horror of it. 
there are a lot of things that the characters didn't do, which is like, uh, of course, a terrible way to like review films. Like, oh, it didn't do this. It didn't have this. But like the fact that you're writing a survival story and none of the characters do anything logical to try and survive the situation they're in really irked me. Like <laughs> this, this well, is I the smallest. Probably say these people sneak tried to uh, not pay for ski tickets, and yeah. um, through a series of miscommunications, they asked to go. Uh, down one more trip after bribing the ski lift operator for less money than it would cost for ski lift tickets. And um, he ends up having to be called in after saying, like, wait for three more people to come down to his replacement. Three more people come down that aren't those people. The ski lift stops and they're gone for the weekend during a blizzard and it's freezing outside. So they're stuck on a ski lift and there's no hope of them meeting anybody. Should probably have said that, but yeah. Except... Uh, like in the first like ten minutes of them being there, a uh, snowplow came underneath them, and they were just yelling to him, despite the fact that they had like skis and hats and goggles and like ski poles see, and shit like that. Did you see who was driving that that uh, the um, groomer? I didn't notice. That was Kane Hodder. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of funny. course it was. Yeah, because Adam Green and Hatchet, who he also plays. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I very much would have been like. Let's just like toss my snowboard at this at this snowplow or drop my fucking goggles. Uh, they're just like other things. Like the biggest thing that irks me is that like it went from like night to day and they're like cold and shivering, but they like are without gloves. They have their hoods down. Their coats are unzipped a bit. I'm like just like fucking cinch all that shit up and you'll you'll be a lot warmer. But uh, it's just, of course, like this is a very nitpicky thing, but it's a survival movie. So like, why wouldn't you do survival things? I mean. I have to call out a couple of the the true comedy of errors uh, when one of the characters decides to jump off this ski lift uh, feet first and just what happens to his legs is what you think happens to his legs. Then the girlfriend up top is trying to throw down a scarf for him to wrap around his legs. And she just throws it to the side. And I think they're implying that she threw it and maybe the wind carried it into a tree, but it really looks like she just threw it to the side and into a tree instead of just dropping it straight down. And that same character, she falls asleep, but her ungloved hand, she had apparently been holding the railing the whole night. So she wakes up with her hand just glued to this railing and she basically has to peel her hand skin off. Just like well, it- silly little things like that that feel funny and it's it's gross but everybody in that situation understands that if your hand or any other skin is frozen to something like that and you have to pee really bad she unfortunately is stuck on the thing and one of the sort of uh points they try to drive home is how long they've been there and she pees herself on camera and you're like oh gross but it's like pee on your fucking hand you can wash it you'll be fine it's gross but you'll be fine as opposed to just not doing that like it will at least unstick you this is my hot take i hope this is what we, we'll clip this and use this promo for the episode just pee on your hand god damn it yeah everybody out there just pee on your hand daily oh no i have a would you rather because this came up in an actual social situation last week and it relates oh, here we go side tangent would you rather drink a small glass of your own piss that's dehydrated pretty dehydrated or a full glass of your friend's piss that's pretty well hydrated so this less come up when you're out with uh, jake line 
Yeah, it actually did. <laughs> I can't believe that would happen. Did you yeah. bring it up or did how did this come to be? I, I did. I don't remember why it came up. Just probably inspired by looking at Jonathan. He just I makes guess... you want to drink pee. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my own, even though it's less hydrated, like I don't know. I feel like eating like the leavings of someone else is like a weird like line that I don't want to cross in my life. Well, one, you should experiment more. But also, I, when you said, like, dehydrated, I assumed you meant, like, condensed milk. Like, it was, like, <laughs> like you need to rehydrate it. <laughs> so would I rather drink my powdered pee or someone else's regular pee? I guess uh, I should have meant, like, uh, pee concentrate or diluted. If there's <laughs> anything in this life that I want to provide Jay Klein with, it's I want him to be able to snort a line of his own pee. That's it. Life goals. Okay, I drink my own piss too. Um, okay, anyway, back. So she should have peed on her hand. Yep. Probably in that situation, because I feel like that scene was just before that. But uh, I don't know if either of you were you ever, did you ever go on a ski trip or anything like that? Have you ever done that, either of you, or is that something that was regular in your lives? I've never skied, but the first time I went to Denver to visit friends when they moved out there, um, we went to Breckenridge Ski Resort, and it was the last weekend of the season. And they had a uh, wait. Let me make sure because there's two bands that they had a band there, and I always confuse them with. Yeah, they had a uh, Third Eye Blind there playing. So I saw Third Eye Blind at Breckenridge Ski Resort, and I always confuse them. I had to look them up and make sure it wasn't like uh, three doors down because I always confuse the names of the bands. I have a friend that would be very offended by you confusing that who really likes Third Eye Blind but they'll forgive you, I guess. Um, well, I guess that's just how was it going to be. It's a Third Eye Blind song that came up in my Google search. Uh, right, you know Third Eye Blind songs. Come on. I do, but the, the Google just says, how's it going to be? So just... Anyways, right. moving on. Yeah, that's the only time I've ever been there. It was a closed um, ski lift, too. So it wasn't like the dangling feet that you're exposed to the elements. So if we got stuck, we'd be fine for a while. Oh, so you took like a gondola. It was on a hill. Like you actually took one up the hill. Yeah. Okay. Got it. The yeah, I hill. guess it was more of like a mountain. Than a lift. Yeah. 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 Well, it is all very serendipitous that we are talking about skiing. My grandma passed the other day and she was a huge skier in Colorado. And my dad and my aunt was were just talking about how they would go to Colorado every year and ski. And I just came across all these pictures. And now I kind of feel inspired to try skiing. I did it once as a kid, but I don't think it was like a little hill in the suburbs, like one of those local places. So I've never been on like a true ski lift, but I've always wanted to. So no, I guess is my answer to skiing. I'm trying to remember the name of the place that's like north of Fox Lake. It, it's tiny. Wilmot. Yes, that is what I was thinking. You, you were talking about was Wilmot. Yeah. Sorry to hear about your grandma, Nikki. Oh, that's okay. She lived a long, fruitful life. Was not a horror fan, but a fan of a good Manhattan, a ski trip, and uh, other things. Knitting and embroidering. <laughs> but does that mean that you had discussions with her about horror films, you and your mom, at some point? No. Grandma Carolyn was not... We didn't... Well, actually, when I visited her a couple weeks ago, we did watch The Munsters because my grandpa looks like Fred Gwynn. 
And so he dressed up as Herman Munster when we were kids. Actually, it might have been before I was born. But so we have an affinity for the Munsters because Grandpa Skip looks like Herman Munster. Um, Grandma Anya, my mom's mom, because, you know, my mom is a sick freak when it comes to horror. And that kind of comes through my grandma, who I think has read The Exorcist a number of times. And The Godfather, actually. What about Shrek? That's Shrek. Oh. (laughs) Sure. Big Shrek head. All right. Um, No, we haven't been on a ski lift, Alex, to answer your question. Do we... uh... Okay, I think that that's that's a more relatable situation if you've been very cold on a ski lift. And if you haven't, I don't think this movie does a lot for you. Because really, it did feel like, why don't you climb across the wires? They do that, and it, it kind of works okay. And if there were no wolves, the whole movie would kind of fall apart. Yeah, the wolves were sort of a secondary enemy. I, I think when we were watching this, Car goes, are these wolves supposed to be like, evil? Like, no, I think they're just wolves. When they are... At the end, like when they are eating his friend's body, um, or eating the body of the one that you think might survive, uh, they clearly are trained dogs that are just like hanging out and like excited to have had treats recently, and it's adorable. Because none of them have like an angry look on their face, none of them look threatening, they're just like, what's up? Yum, Iceman. Yes. Two thoughts. One, we're going to brush right over, because I don't want to deep dive what this means to my intelligence but i just learned a few weeks ago that wolves and wolverines are different creatures i thought wolf was short for wolverine uh we're gonna move past that two can i leave that in the episode i just want to make sure that's cool yeah well it's also did i tell you guys that for a long time i thought lions and tigers were the same creature and tigers were just the girl version and lions were the guys who failed you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the public Sorry. school system. Yeah. The public school system. <laughs> How am I still alive? Like a functioning adult with the knowledge gaps in my life? Holy shit. Uh, okay. Second of all, brushing, moving right along. Um, what is interesting about Frozen that we've touched upon, but in relation to The Lodge and The Shining that we also watch for today, is in this movie, like, the cold weather is enemy number one. Like, it is the antagonist. In The Shining in the Lodge, it just kind of acts as a device to kind of push insanity and isolation onto characters. But it is interesting that they use cold weather, like, as the main antagonist here. And yeah, you could say the wolves are, like, the secondary antagonist. But I thought that was an interesting choice. And I'm, I can't think of... Well, actually, I'm sure there are other movies where that is the main antagonist, but I can't think of any offhand where it's not just the primary. It's all, they're all wilderness survival movies. The one, the main one I'm thinking of is this movie, The Edge, from the early 2000s or late 90s. It's Anthony Hopkins and what, uh, yeah, what's his name? Yeah, Alec Baldwin and him, and uh, their plane crashes and they have to find their way back to safety and like, the Yukon territory or something. And there's a bear that keeps fucking with them. So stuff like that, which as opposed to the actual theme of something like the shining. So, yeah. Well, they also make sure that we know that cold is the enemy by giving like California filmed, like white painted snow mustaches and snow and like white streaks across their face to symbolize frostbite like people that probably have never actually like spent a night in the midwest in the winter 
I haven't seen it in a really long time, and this is a case of me thinking that there were practical effects in this that were pretty good, and they're not great. The The cold doesn't look very cold, and I think that would have really made this movie more effective, where it definitely looks like they just have makeup on, unfortunately, but not fun makeup. Some of the gore is fine, but it's not the point of the movie. I think I had the opposite experience, and like the makeup wasn't great, and like the gore is fine. But because we're in my basement and it's so cold lately, I think that I just like seeing that and like, yeah, that looks cool just because I'm cold. But I think if I would have seen it like in a warm room, I wouldn't have been sold. All right, just be cold and everything will be better. Yeah, yeah, There's just like no breath. There's no breath. It's like this white paint on the face and then it's like these paper looking snowflakes. Which is fine. I get we're working on a budget here. We're filming in presumably California, but it takes you out of it. Let's move on. This movie, uh, you guys give a thumbs up or down? Down. I think the tie into Hatchet is kind of fun uh, because that character shows back up in Hatchet 2. I looked this up. I've seen Hatchet 2, but I wasn't paying close enough attention to it when I saw it to, to know this. But that character actually shows up in Hatchet 2 as her, like she plays the same character who has successfully sued that ski resort and is super affluent because of it, which I think is, is <laughs> oh funny my God, that he it's did that. Her. Uh, I, have, I have three last notes that I want to read. And I'm sorry if you can hear Marty crying in the background. Um, but one of my notes is they'd 100% be dead by morning, especially with their, their hoods down and unzipped and all that shit. Iceman is an incel. I don't know what he said. Oh, he was talking about like, his girlfriend in college who like was making googly eyes at Chad. And what well, he kind of calls himself out for like the reason she sort of got with him is because he was so jealous and he left her like he broke up with her first. He's yeah. absolutely an incel and a moron, but at least the movie gives you like the little bit of like, OK, he at least knows he's at fault. Yeah, and then my last note. Uh, so eventually, Iceman Sean Ashmore climbs across a cable from. He climbs like twenty feet from their uh, their their lift to um, another lift to like a pole that's holding up the the other lifts, and it has a ladder on it. <laughs> my last note is the attempt to climb the wire to the fucking ladder seems like it should have been the first plan before letting dude take a fifty plus foot drop and break his legs like the guy like dropped and his leg bones came out of his body but he's like yeah don't climb that don't climb across that that cable your hands will get cut i don't know if those are actually sharp or not i have no idea and i looked it up because i was but not a lot of people are talking about that on the internet apparently i doubt it and if it is like use your like your your ski poles to like as like a shimmy or something you know like there are there are ways around this yeah, especially when it's like you saw what happened the first time. You could have taken that scarf. Anyway. Peepholes aren't that strong. I've seen many of them bent and broken in half before, but that would be a more preferable choice than to slice your hands open for an extended period of time. But the only other thing is those uh, support be- poles and all the ski lifts, those all do have ladders on them that you go anywhere. So should we think this ladder that's like right over there, or should we just like fall and like shatter our legs? Let's jump. Let's risk it. Also, that character, this is a Nikki deep cut. Um, His name is Dan in the movie. 
Uh, that actor I only know from what used to be my favorite made-for-TV movie from Fox Family, not ABC Family, not Freeform, back when it was Fox Family, called Timeshare, about two families who schedule a timeshare house at the same time and fall in love, and that was a movie A whole past. family falls in love with the other they family? They all start banging each other, Marsha Greg ba- Brady style. Fox mom, family. dad, mom, son, daughter, son. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. Um, and then the last theme I want to bring up that I think will transition us nicely to perhaps the lodge that we're going to talk about next is what did stand out to me about this movie that I liked in this idea of themes of isolation and kind of like loneliness in and its correlation to winter and cold in these movies is that this is the only movie where there is like a sense of community. It's not kind of like people pitted against each other and there's not a question of sanity. It's like the cold is the enemy. And because of that, there actually is like community and group attempts at survival. So I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic compared to The Lodge and The Shining. Yeah, this movie really is like an inverse of the other two that we watched. Uh, You said it brings people together. It's less about like the isolation, uh, turning people against one another, um, and making kind of like the characters enemies with themselves. So I already apologized, so you, you can stop <laughs> yelling at me for Christ's sake. Uh, I, I like get it. it. I missed I... the homework. Oh, however, I do want to ask. I'll let you finish, Nikki. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that's what I like about this movie. I think it's a really good like dichotomy. Because, cool, we could just say all of these movies have the exact same themes. I like that this one flips the other two on its head using cold weather. That's right. Um, Nikki, again, proving that she has forgiveness for her pals. So thank you. Um, But Brad, I have to ask, before we move into the other two movies, have I ever suggested a movie that uh, you and Kara both enjoyed? I know you liked Rumpelstiltskin. That was a delight. I was having a great time seeing your I reaction like that to that too. movie. Yeah, yeah. I think we have similar uh, vibes when it's not like uh, extreme, like borderline uh, spot films. Um, but I think your and my opinions on horror movies differ from Kara's. Trying to think of oh, that, that's fine, but the reason I ask is because I know that you watch movies together, and yeah. if if I haven't let everybody down, I've at least let her down and i like that i, I, oh, I try right. to talk about it as much as possible yeah no i mean she's along for the ride you know cool 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 all cool. right so that brings us to the we'll lodge. About, yeah 2019's the lodge it was writ it was directed by severin fiala and veronica franz it was written by sergio koski veronica franz and severin fiala there's Riley Keough, who I found out is the granddaughter of Elvis Presley. Uh, Jaden Martell. Uh, I didn't know that. Nikki, sorry. Jaden Martell, who played a uh, little boy, Bill Denbro, in It, Chapters 1 and 2. Leah McHugh, and um, he's not listed in IMDb on the, on the start, but his name is Richard Armitage, who played Thor and Oakenshield in the Hobbit movies. Uh, the Lodge, like I said, 2019. It's... <clears throat> About soon-to-be stepmom is snowed in with her fiancé's two children at a remote holiday village. Just as relations begin to thaw between the trio, some strange and frightening events take place. That's the little logline from IMDb, but it's, a, it's quite a bit deeper than that if anybody else wants to summarize it a bit more. 
crazy things happen and then you find out more crazy things uh this is a movie that i think is worth watching and there will be spoilers because it's kind of necessary to talk about what this movie is actually about and i think it's worth seeing yeah i uh i remember seeing trailers for this uh before it came out and i was actually pretty excited about it uh i saw it like early 2020 like early into uh covid pandemic and fucking hated it when i first saw it uh, but during this rewatch, I enjoyed it quite a bit more. That's the same situation with me. I I thought and it. Me. I was I was mad at it as well. Did we talk about it? Not not on Slider Brains. I don't think. Oh, on the Better Podcast. <laughs> like, did we, Nikki? So. Okay, maybe we just talked about it in like the the threads that we were all a part we're of. We're probably like we hated it. There's no use having an episode on it. <laughs> I honestly remember not liking it. And then as I've reflected on the movie, it's like I don't know that it's that I didn't like the movie so much as it made me feel bad. And sometimes that works great. And I love a feel bad movie, but this was a feel really bad movie. I also yeah. think this was a movie that the advertising made it perhaps seem like a lot. Not that it wasn't a dark movie, but this movie is very psychological, and I feel like the trailer, from my memory of it, set it up to be just a lot more crazy than it ended up being. That's kind of my memory of why I didn't like it at first, is I really liked the advertising, didn't like the execution, but I also liked it more this time. I think if you watched it and didn't really pick up on the smaller things that were happening that were kind of revealing what is happening in the movie... Uh, it just kind of came out of left field. I was like, what the fuck? But I think I watched it a little bit closer this time. I was like, oh yeah, I kind of see what they're doing a, a bit more. And I think I like it a little bit better. But to kind of give a bit more in-depth of a summary, uh, it follows uh, Richard Armitage. I think his character's name is also Richard. And his family. So his he informs his ex-wife that they want to finalize. Uh, he wants to finalize the divorce. So he and his new girlfriend, Grace, can get married. Um, the ex-wife doesn't like that, and she's played by Alicia Silverstone, and she goes home and commits suicide. And the kids, the two kids that they have, are very upset by that, and they start to blame the dad and the girlfriend. And the dad wants the girlfriend and the kids to go to a cabin way off in the middle of nowhere for Christmas, but he has to work, so he's like, you guys can spend a couple days with Grace. It'll be great. You'll get to know each other. And the kids find out that Grace was part of a cult when she was a child. Uh, her dad was actually the cult leader and the cult did a mass suicide and she was the only survivor and she was supposed to spread the word of their cult. Um, and she's been seeing medic or taking medication. And I believe Richard, her boyfriend, is her therapist or something along those lines, right? Am I right in that? I thought I read that he was like an author of a book. Of I did remember her being cults. in his books. There's okay. morality grayness on his character for okay. sure in that one. Yeah. I don't know what exactly the relation is or what his or not the relation, but like what his profession, I guess, is. So I assume that maybe he was a, a doctor of some sort, but he's just an author on that. Um, that's fine. But so he leaves the three of them and the kids hatch a scheme to trick her into backsliding into her cultish ways and like take her medication. And like throughout the movie, you kind of think that she's like doing these things, but she's really kind of being led to get there uh, until it all kind of climaxes. That's, I mean, that's, that is the climax of the film is the movie kind of makes you question what's happening and it, it messes with your mind in a, in a way that does make it possible that there's some weird supernatural thing going on or that she is snapping. 
Um, and then it is slowly revealed that the kids have been fucking with her really badly the entire time, and it's it leads to dire circumstances to end the movie. Yeah, it's fucked up. The worst part, obviously, is that uh, her dog freezes in the in the snow. Holy shit! Actually, oh my god. <laughs> okay, that's horrible that that happens. That makes me sad. But I meant to tell you guys before we recorded, I saved a little dog from the snow and cold yesterday. We were in. Let me tell you, your reaction told me the opposite, and I was not happy <laughs> to hear this. No, 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 no. We were in the um, we were in our living room, and I was just, we were kind of just talking. I was looking out the window. I see a little white dog, kind of like moving in the snow, like on the sidewalk, and there's no one around him. So, like, I handed Marty back to car and threw my coat on. I went and got treats, and I ran out to him, and he was like staring at me from down the street, and he was like kind of a little like nervous of me at first, and then I kind of like kept approaching him with treats. And he got so happy and he came right up to me and like started taking the treats and everything. And then I picked him up and I found his collar. Thankfully, he had a tag on. His name is Charlie. He was a little Shih Tzu. And we called his family and like I brought him back and he's like chilling in the basement with me. And his dad came and picked him up. And uh, his dad gave me a Starbucks gift card, which I didn't want to accept. But the guy wouldn't wouldn't leave without giving it to me. So I'm just glad. How much glad is on a gift card? I don't know. We haven't looked yet. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It's like but, his leftovers. There's like a dollar twenty eight. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, I was just glad that this little poor little dog was out there in like negative five degrees, uh, had a tag, and that the the people answered the phone. So good job that, being a good I'd Samaritan. Be, that would be in a panicked fury the entire time. I would be in the snowbank looking for he my was, dog. He was the sweetest. Yeah, so did I. You get you get your ass out there and you find that fucking dog. <laughs> I like have uh, trauma from other people, not other people's dogs, but because my mom's dog is so evil, even though he likes me, I like am very wary to approach anyone's dog because I just don't know yeah. their temperament. <laughs> so I'm like, nope. you do you, I'm gonna do me. I stick my hand out and I wait. I'm like, if you want to sniff me, you can. If you don't want to sniff me, be gone. That's the best I can do for you because <laughs> I do not want to force that relationship. I'm not that big of a moron. I didn't really have that that luxury though, because it was negative well, five. You I couldn't make off treats. I don't yeah. generally carry those, so it's not like uh, I do. I should. I should just have freeze dried chicken in my yeah. pockets at all times. You could have been Anyways, attacked by a wolverine, or uh, a lion, a, a female. That's a, a female. A lion that's a tiger. tiger. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyways, I've derailed us Anyways. back to the lodge. Uh, uh. You guys have thoughts on this movie? We all kind of said we enjoyed it in the second watch. I think. The first time I saw this movie, it just felt a little convoluted uh, because it was hard to track this idea that uh, Riley Keough's character, Grace, is, uh, it looks like she's kind of falling into insanity of some sort. And it's it's hard to know, is it her, is it the kids? Which is, I understand the point of the movie is to kind of have that back and forth. But to get the, oh, it actually was the kids that, like, were tricking her. But she also, like, because of that, was falling into just insanity. And I don't mean to use the word, like, insanity. I know her character is has experienced trauma, is medicated for that trauma, and her medication was actually taken away. So she is chemically unbalanced from uh, her state before. So I just remember that being really confusing, and I remember being confused at the end the first time I watched it about kind of where we're supposed to stand with Grace as a character but I think this time around I could appreciate it a little bit more Um, and it does just follow a lot of the same beats as The Shining in terms of like one person's dissolution 
I realized on the sort of revisit that I love a Descent into Madness movie, which is weird because I also, like, my brain is like, you're not into psychological horror. If I see an advertisement for something that's like, this movie's going to mess with you, I'm not interested. But something about one character, but you also, like, there's a dramatic irony and you're aware of what's going on. And I honestly think finding out that the kids are responsible for it is more satisfying. Like, both things are true. Like, she is doing stuff because they led her in that direction is a more satisfying way for the story to go. But, like, you know, something less cut and dry like The Lighthouse I still really loved. And I don't think that movie is anything more than when you're stuck somewhere, it makes you feel real bad. And it leads to some consequences, which is kind of what this movie does. But it actually takes a lot of extra details that uh, could make it convoluted and it makes it an interesting, compelling story. But boy, it feels bad. I think, too, one thing that this movie does, and also The Shining in some capacity, um, just tying it back to this idea of cold and winter, is kind of adults' relationship with winter versus a kid's relationship with winter, I think is explored kind of interestingly. Um, at the beginning, we're at they're at the cabin, they're having fun, they're playing in the snow, they're going across the lake, um, or the frozen lake, and it's this interesting theme of winter and cold as something that is traditionally like fun and exciting for kids. You think of like snow days and kind of doing fun stuff at home, and for adults, it seems to take more of like a traumatic turn because of just that isolation factor and that inward looking at self, like no distraction. So that was explored a little bit here. Um, and of course, the kids are not just regular kids having fun. They just also went through the loss of a parent and are doing nefarious things to Grace. But I think that's kind of an interesting parallel here as well in this movie. Yeah, I one of the themes that you kind of, uh, when we were planning this episode, you brought up... Um, compare and contrast with hot weather in horror and you uh, explicitly listed like, like Texas chainsaw. I think one thing about movies that take place in the cold, except for frozen, because we already talked about how that is different, but like specifically the lodge and the shining is that it's a very slow sort of process to get there. Like you're in the cold, you're experiencing the isolation and like being sequestered to one place because it's cold and freezing and inhospitable outside. It's a very slow process and slow descent into madness. Whereas opposed, you look to like some of like hot weather horror movies uh, where like they're kind of making snap decisions like right from the start because like the weather is influencing them. Like their adrenaline's going because they're like kind of their bodies are more in like a flight or fight type response. Um, so I think it's interesting in that like I've been reading a lot of uh, <laughs> A Song of Ice and Fire again and uh, there's obviously it's called a song of ice and fire. And like, there's a thing about, I think Melisandre, that one of the red priests says, uh, I cold, the cold is a slow death and fire is a, a fast here. Cold is death and fire is life. But like, they also talk about it being slow versus fast. And like, that's true in like what we're talking about today. And that like these cold weather snowbound movies, it's a very slow process of somebody kind of losing their mind. Yeah. And I agree with that as well. And just this idea that in like a, like hot weather horror when I think of like Texas Chainsaw or um, 
like Devil's Rejects or something, there's a lot of movement, a lot of different location, a lot of scene changes, a lot of running. And it's you kind of get that relief in like a cool basement or a cool gas station with air conditioning and then like a hot car or a hot field or whatever it is. So there is so much movement and space to explore. And there's just such a bleakness to the winter themed movie because to exactly what we're saying, just that one confined space and even not to jump to The Shining, but it's like everyone seems to enjoy it at first. There's kind of that period of this is fun and good, like we're having fun in the lodge at this cabin. And then after a period of time, it's like, okay, there's like a restlessness. And the the isolation from like the cold and the snow is really um, an antagonist in and of itself. Whereas like when we're talking about like warm weather uh, horror movies, even if they are isolated, it's not necessarily caused by the weather itself. Like we're never seeing like a movie where like, oh my God, it's so hot that my car is literally melting. It's like something happens, like the car breaks down, not necessarily because of the weather, but because you find out later like a villain did it or some bullshit. But in like these cold weather snow movies, you literally can't go anywhere. Like we see, uh, well, I guess in The Shining, Jack broke down the car. But I was like... <laughs> waiting for you to finish to be like, you're using an example directly from the movie. But I would say that like the isolation is more brought on by the snow itself. Like Dick Halloran's trying to communicate with like the fire. I keep jumping at the shining. I'm sorry, but because I just watched it, but Dick's trying to communicate with like, the fire department saying, Hey, there's a family up there. Can we you get can, to them? No, the road can just incorporate the two at this point. Cause I think the shining isn't while watching it. I realize how saturated with it. We are, it almost washes over you because you've seen so much of it so many times. Yeah. It's part of well, this well, discussion. I mean, we'll we'll dive deeper in, but like, I, I, so I just let's just put that out there that I keep kind of slipping into like being like, well, in The Shining, they do this, but but yeah, let's circle back to the lodge a little bit more. Um, I think that <laughs> one of the things about this movie, even though I said like when I watched it the second time, I paid more attention to the things happening, but I think I watched this movie a little bit more passively than I did the first time I watched it. Like I was distracted with like Marty with like my phone with whatever was going on. And that kind of made for a more uh like an experience where I understand the movie a little bit better than when I was like first watched it and was dedicated to like eyes bolted to the TV. I think like when I first saw it, I remember there was a part where like, it shows the kids in the basement and like hoarding stuff. I'm like, the kids are just like in the basement hoarding all this shit. Why are they doing that? They were they not letting the what they die. had coming. Yeah, they were they were they were real dickheads though. That is a it's one thing to mess with somebody, but like the extremes that they go to is so extreme that they are yeah. They're the evil characters. Yeah, taking the medication is pretty nuts, but also like pumping her dad's like recordings through a little speaker in the house and then like letting the dog outside to die. Pretty fucked up kids. Having that little empathy is the serial killer behavior for anything. Like letting the dog out is the thing where I'm kind of like, those kids are not well. Yeah. I also think with this movie um, and part of this idea of like isolation versus kind of community, like in frozen um, granted, I know the point of them going to this lodge is for these kids to bond with grace who their dad will marry. But there is 
that's because it's a strained bond. So Grace is already isolated. Like she doesn't have um, like Richard is there to start and they have a nice time together and then he leaves and these kids just kind of band against her. So there's already like conflict within these people confined to a space, which is interesting. Uh, I guess it's not interesting. That's just how things work. It's it's like going to your, you know, in-laws for Christmas or something. <laughs> it took me a long time uh, into the second watch to realize what the deal with the dollhouse was. Because throughout the movie, it flashes to the dollhouse and there are various rooms that are reflective. I think actually the dollhouse is a replica of the lodge that they go to. Uh, so it flashes to scenes in the dollhouse where the dolls will be in similar positions to uh, the real characters and the kind of like foreshadowing what is to come. It took me a long time to realize that like, because I, I think at the end, Richard sees the dollhouse and he goes, something's wrong, something's wrong, I gotta get back to the lodge. It took me a long time to realize that the kids were sitting at the dollhouse doing all this, like planning it. And if only there were a movie you could reference where they have a miniature version of something big in the movie and they kind of zoom in on it and never mind. Like Hereditary or the episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark where the girl's in the dollhouse. I was thinking of just the the maze when they zoom in on Danny and Wendy oh, yeah. in The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was thinking of the use of the dollhouse in Hereditary where it shows Me the too. characters. Oh. Anyways, uh, so uh, the lodge. What are we? Uh, where are we at with that one? I, did you guys? I know we all said we liked it more so the second time, but it's still a weird recommendation because of. Uh, the feelings part and how extreme some of the stuff that happens in it is. It's very much uh, like Ari Aster levels of like, you better not be sensitive to death. Cause my God, it's brutal. A lot of suicide in that movie. Yeah. It did feel like there was just a lot of shock value for the sake of shock value. Like Alicia Silverstone, um, her suicide scene was jarring um, and important to the story. And, like the sense of kind of creating tension between the kids and Grace, but it just feels like it just kind of felt like a like a vulgar scene to have that doesn't really contribute to the rest of the story. And also just Grace's backstory and relationship to the cult, like her having that trauma is already a lot to kind of unpack throughout the movie, but also combining that with these kids that are tricking her, but also what is supposed to be, or like her kind of losing her mental state happening at the same time. It just all felt like there was a lot of big shock factors and it was too many. I think if you stuck to just like one of those things and focused on it. Do you think that the kids would have enough justification for how extreme their actions are had their mom just been left and they didn't get to live with her anymore as opposed to her killing herself because it feels like their actions are pretty extreme and their mom's death seems like a good place to push somebody to the extreme versus that my parents split up and i'm mad at you as opposed to like you're kind of responsible for my mom not being around at all anymore Yes, but I also think that the kids don't display any other sort of like abnormal behavior or trauma response that kind of explains that they appear as like well-adjusted kids that are just like pulling pranks. 
like that feels like a different vibe than being kids that are traumatized from a really disturbing thing that happened to them. Like there's nothing else, you know what I mean? Like I think those two like vibes don't match up. Like kids pulling a prank. It felt like kids pulling a prank versus acting out of spite. Does that make sense? Yeah, they kind of. There's a part in the movie and I have this in my notes, but like right after the funeral, the daughter is crying to her dad that like she won't go to heaven because she killed herself and blah, 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 which like, why the fuck would somebody tell the daughter like how the mom died to begin with? Like, I don't know. I feel like you would want to protect your kid from like knowing like, oh, your parent actually like actively killed himself. Do they tie that into any sort of religious like, do they show that they're religious? Because that's something that I definitely heard when I was a kid. Like, not even really thinking about the concept of someone taking their own life. I was told, as somebody that went to church, like, if you do that, you're going to hell. That's something told to me when I was too young to know that. I was told that, too. I don't know who by, but I was. I did not have a religious upbringing. So, like, I kind of, like, knew that was, like, a, an idea that people had. But I don't think it really reflected any religious leaning that the, the kids had in the movie. I just some some older people are dumb and would tell a kid that that's yeah. the only reason I bring that up. Yeah, You're, that's a good point. Like in situations like that, I've just get a couple people in my life where I'm like, no, they would absolutely tell me even if I was way too young to know that. I'm not justifying the movie. I was just relating to life. That's all. Yeah. I, I'm just kind of confused about like, the kids plan. Of course, they're like kids and like probably didn't think through it all. But like I say that, but they were very dedicated to this whole the whole thing. Like like the fake hanging and everything. Um, but I, I gotta know what their plan was. So they were mad that the mom killed herself, but they were mad at grace because the dad was up there and they were trying to get, were they trying to get her to kill herself or did they? I think I thought so, but I also think the longer we talk about this, the more likely we are to land back at where our initial reading of it of being like, okay, maybe we didn't love it as much. As we <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought it was entertaining for what it was. Um, I do have one last question, though. There's a scene, and it bothered me when I first saw it. And there's a scene that like, it still kind of bothers me now is when Grace kind of heads out of the lodge on her own, um, like with a blanket, like through the snow to like look for somewhere else and look for help and everything. And she comes across a like cross-shaped house, like it's stacked up. Like it's a shack that has like multiple stack- shacks like stacked up on top of it almost. And it's like cross-shaped. And there's just somebody in the window staring at her. She's like banging on the window. They don't like answer or anything. And that was weird to me. I don't know why. But that like unsettled me when I first saw it. And I just have questions about it. Like, was she imagining that? Why is it cross-shaped? I would imagine that is probably a flashback to like the commune she would have lived in with the cult when she was growing up. And just kind of part of her disorientation of like, the past and the present. Okay. Do you accept my that was answer? My read too. I, I just assumed it was her flashing back to what her experience was like in the cult. Okay, fair. I don't know why, but like, just like that image of like the, just the person like staring out the window just scares me. I, I don't like You it. don't seem pleased with our answers, and that displeases me. Yeah, well, I just copied you, so you can blame Nikki. I will. I will. Okay, You've good. ruined my evening. Let's talk about The Shining now. 
Before we talk about The Shining, I feel like I associate this movie with like a... Well, it's talking about The Shining, not before. Um, I associate this movie as like a favorite of yours, and I was curious about your relationship to it. You've talked about it on the show before, um, but I know this is like a top five for you. Yeah, guys, I, have I ever said that I fucking love The Shining? It's so good. It's In my opinion, it's like a masterpiece. It's one of the best horror movies ever made to me. Um, my association with it, I think it stemmed... Can, can you hear Marty crying? He's like screaming right now. Fuck. A little bit. Uh, well, first of all, I'll ask, have you read the book? Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you separate the two as their own storytelling entities? Because I haven't read it, and I'd really like to, now that we've I've watched it again today. But I, yeah. uh, I don't know if that will ruin the read of the movie for me. I would say they're a little... They're, Broad strokes are very similar. Uh, the book is a bit more um, uh, prescriptive in terms of what's going on. Because I know that with the movie, there are obviously a lot of questions going on about like the nature of the hotel, the nature of the ghosts and everything. The book is a bit more literal. Um, and there are, there are diversions uh, uh, between the two. Um, especially in terms of like how the movies end in the state of the overlook. Um, I don't know if I prefer one over the other. Um, I only read the book once and it was about like six years ago. So that's fine. I just, I, again, I know you, you love the movie and I, uh, you're the one person I'm like, he's definitely read it too. Nikki. Sorry. I assumed you hadn't. How dare you? Yeah, of course I haven't read it. It's a movie. I will say my, my relationship to the movie definitely comes from uh, my dad because he was a big Shining fan. He's not like the biggest horror guy, but he obviously introduced me to the Halloween and the Shining was one that he always talked about. And I didn't really care for it as a kid. Uh, but in my teens, I kind of rewatched it. I was like, yeah, this is fucking good. Even like today when I was rewatching it, like I sent a, a vague picture of the, the movie, like just like a random shot to like my family group chat and said, guess the movie. And my dad right away said Shining. And he said, uh, <laughs> Uh, I sent him a gif of Jack at the bar, like doing little like eyebrow raises. Uh, after he responded, and he goes, "I always liked you, Lloyd." So he knows he he's a big Shining guy. So I think my love for the Shining kind of stems from him as well. Our timing is very good because uh, we've talked about them on the show once before. But uh, are you both familiar with the band Murder by Death? No. The name I'm familiar with. That they're named themselves after a uh, parody movie of Clue that is very funny um, that I really like, but they are often horror themed and things. And they have had a residency at the Stanley Hotel for over it might even be two decades at this point, where once a year they play and they take a photo like the party at the end of the movie. And my friend was there and he sent me a photo and he went to the Stanley for those shows and I was very excited to see that. That's so I have awesome. a bunch of photos in there. I'm gonna ask him if so I can cool. post any as promos, but. Yeah, I've got a, a man on the inside because uh, I would really like to visit that hotel at some point. Brad yeah, and I have both visited it. That's all three it's so, go. It's so interesting to me. That would be a fun outing we could record in there. But um, it's interesting to me that it's, well, looking it up today, I know it's based, like, the Overlook is based on the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, but it was shot in Mount Hood, Oregon at, um, I don't remember the name of the place. But have you... Is that another destination where it was shot as opposed to the hotel that it was based on the, in the story? 
I don't think so. Um, so interesting the... to me that. Oh, go on. Just that it's not the main shooting location that is the attraction. It's the thing that planted the idea in Stephen King's head. Yeah, I think that there is just like a mythos about the Stanley Hotel as well, because they do the tours, they do the ghost tours. They can say whatever the hell they want. Um, I think that Stanley's much more of a destination for people like I follow like the Stephen King subreddit for whatever reason. And uh, definitely there's a lot of people like I went to the Overlook um, or I went to Stephen King's house. Uh, and there's a lot less people traveling to Oregon. So in terms of in this community, at least. I don't know where is that. Well, I guess Mount Hood. So it's not that far from the main sort of big cities in Oregon either. Because it's right kind of by the uh, by Portland and all that. Or maybe mountains are just big and you can see them from everywhere. I don't know. Public school. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of wolves and wolverines on Mount Hood. Uh, in case people aren't familiar... The Shining is a 1980 movie directed by Stanley Kubrick, adapting a book of the same name by Stephen King. It stars Jack Nicholson, uh, uh, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd, and Scatman Colors. It is about a family that... Uh, the, the, the father is a writer slash teacher slash alcoholic who's not drinking at the moment who signs up to be the winter caretaker of a hotel that shuts down throughout the winter. And Danny has a psychic ability called the shine and he can see ghosts and things happening and things that are going to happen and things that have happened. And Jack, the father kind of descends into madness in their isolation there. What do you guys think? I, uh, I really watching this today. I realized I really love the scene where, um, what is his name? The chef um, that scamming Dick Halloran. When he talks to Danny for the first time, when they're in the closet talking about cereals, and he's like, "You want some ice cream, kid?" I was like, "That's just kind of like a delightful scene that is set up so scary because there's the high pitched sort of tension noise happening because Danny is clearly being like the shining is happening in that scene." This movie just has a uh, one. It's one where like the film score just adds to the dread of it throughout the entire thing it's like it's very slow it's very ominous very uh like minor chord sounding and it's jarring because you'll go through these scenes of you know the the focus is mostly on jack's fall into insanity but then you're given these flashes of uh danny's point of view as this little boy who's just trying to fucking live and be you know like a five-year-old on his little tricycle rolling around but then we'll you know be like sitting on a bed and then be picturing like blood pouring out of an elevator or talking to a little man named tony and his finger and so it's just very there's almost like a normalcy to seeing these really horrific things happen in danny's head that's just part of his everyday that kind of makes this movie like way more jarring it's versus like the jack scenes are a little more typical in that like when he goes into the room he's not supposed to and sees the decomposing woman that's like jarring even for him so it's an interesting parallel to see horrific images from Danny who kind of expects to see them and they're almost the scarier images most of the time than when Jack sees them he's 
freaked out by him because he's not used to it. So I, I like that parallel in the movie that just makes it so unsettling. And and it's what I also like about it, too, in this idea of isolation is that in the lodge, granted the lodge, it's like a big house or a nice cabin, but it still feels like a confined space. And here they're at this like vast, beautiful hotel that has so much space. And it's like this interesting parallel of having so much space to be around, but also feeling isolated because it's also just three of them there. So I think they play with space in a really interesting way. Yeah, I mean, in addition to like the literal that's going on, like Danny being able to see ghosts that are in the hotel, it the setting alone, even it being a giant, uh, a giant hotel that like, only the three of them are in, it definitely, if you were in their shoes, your mind could wander like, oh, who or what else is, is in this hotel right now? Like, there's so much empty space, and that's something that I have a lot of like nightmares about is like like finding like a room that I didn't know of or like seeing like a hallway like yeah I don't like to go down that hallway because it's there's so much space back there or whatever like who knows who's back there your mind can definitely wander like when you're in like this giant space that is meant to be occupied by so many other people but it's just you I think that's a really good um it's used really well in this movie especially like when Danny just kind of is riding his bike along he obviously sees uh the twin daughters, uh, the bear guy. There are just so many rooms he goes by and he sees something in not every room because that would just be annoying, but he sees some significant things happening that obviously stick with him. There's been a lot said about this movie. I mean, it's been talked to death. It's uh, obviously very well regarded and there's documentaries, et cetera, et cetera, which I haven't seen and I probably should. Um, but I think that one of the things that's often talked about is Stephen King's hatred of the movie. I think people blow it out of proportion. He just said he didn't like it uh, because he likes his written version better, which is surprising because this is regarded as one of the better Stephen King adaptations as far as, like, it's a good movie. And um, uh, one of the things he's lit, he's said is talking about Shelley Duvall being just kind of there to scream. And I don't watching that today like that's what i was looking for because i haven't really watched it since hearing more things about that and i think her character is so i know she had horrible treatment on this film that's also well documented but i think she is um acting as she should in that situation like she's i just think she's really good in this movie and also the character isn't underdeveloped and she isn't just there to scream and be a victim she's pushed to that point where she does not want to harm her husband um, who's clearly abusive and the alcohol is a real problem, but at the same time she's being attacked. Um, so I don't think that I just, I, that's blown out of proportion. She doesn't just scream the entire movie. She's the one character that's grounding the two of them, both Danny and his father. And uh, it's something I wish people would talk about more. He's also faced with this really interesting plight in relation to space where she is like we watch her come to the realization um, of Jack's insanity and how long it must have been going on. And now her goal is to protect her child and herself. And again, this idea of space is so interesting because it's just the three of them in this huge hotel, yet they're being cornered at every opportunity and they're able to trap Jack at one point. And so it doesn't feel silly. Like it never feels like she's making stupid choices ever. And it's just this really interesting dilemma of like all this space to like get away from him. And yet 
also nowhere to go. It just, and maybe that's part of those kind of zoom out, zoom in images they do of like the maze and like Danny running through the maze outside on the property. And so it's just such an interesting situation. And, you know, even when they do get out of the hotel and they have to, there's a big snowstorm that happens. So they have to go down this big snowbank and get to a car. Like even then there, it's just such a very interesting uh, parallel of vastness and just feeling suffocated that Jack is like everywhere they are. I didn't say yeah, anything I do. new. <laughs> I do want to uh, uh, respond to uh, a couple points that Alex brought up. And as much as I love Stephen King, I do kind of think that a little bit is, has to do with ego about this movie. Um, a lot of his movies, he's like, yeah, they're pretty good. And a lot of his movies that, he, that are dog shit that he hasn't said, like, yeah, that's not not very good. Um, uh, like, aren't good. And like, but you look at this movie and it's it's a good movie and it's a good adaptation of his movie and it take and it does things a little differently. I think part of it might be ego in that like somebody took something I made and made it slightly better than what I did with it. And he's he's kind of said before that like it's a very mean spirited movie and I think that ties into what you were saying about Shelley Duvall. Um, and Nick, you said you made a point earlier about like everything is kind of the music like just the, the tone of everything is kind of unsettling. And like you said, it's very well documented, but there are shots in this movie that like most shots took like dozens of attempts just because Kubrick wanted them to be in a certain minds mindset while they were acting in the movie. Like they're not just showing up and reading off their lines. Like they're getting frustrated. They're getting mad about being in the situation that they're in. And I'm on the, the shining IMDb page just to make sure I have the credits and date, right. And everything like that. And there's like a little video auto playing. And it said that apparently the Scatman Crawler scene where he's, having ice cream with Danny took 148 takes. So like, that's just the level of like insanity they went through to. Oh, and to be clear, they're shooting this on fucking film. Yeah. Which is insane. Cause that's going to yeah. cost millions of dollars and time that an editor has to go through and pick which, I mean, I'm sure there are ways to mark that. It's the whole point yeah. of it, but like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah. That's, so that's nuts. Yeah. All of that kind of lends itself to, like what Stephen King said, it's a very mean-spirited movie. It is a movie that, like, in addition to just the scary images going on, you are unsettled the entire time just because the tone of the the actors and the characters in the movie shines through the movie. It shines through, and, like, you kind of are in the same mindset as them. Like, you're in this situation, like, you can't leave, and they're all kind of in a flight-or-fight mode, but they can't go anywhere. Have I said I like this movie before, guys? <laughs> Would you say this is in like your top? Oh, I'm going to do a little would you rather. Would you rather only be able to watch The Shining and never be able to watch any of the Godzilla franchise? Or you could watch any of the Godzilla franchise and never be able to watch The Shining? I think I'd give The Shining one less hurrah because Godzilla, they're making new movies. I think I had had the same thing with Lord of the Rings versus Marvel when Alex asked me months ago. It's like they're making new Marvel movies, and Lord of the Rings is what it is. So I think I'd watch The Shining one last time. Like, yep, this is peak, and then just enjoy the new Godzillas as they come out. Trying to, are we allowing him to watch it one more time, or do you have to just live in your memories? Yeah, who said you can watch it one more time? Jokes on you guys! I finished watching it like four hours ago. So (laughs) that's true. 
That's true. Well, that was the last time. Mm-hmm. It's the end of that. Now you only have to watch Godzilla movies. Yeah. Oh, darn. But I also think, um, I know we've been, com- or I've been making a lot of jumps over to The Shining when we were talking about The Lodge. But The Shining, even talking about it, makes me like The Lodge less because we're having similar beats of just dissolving into insanity, but The Lodge had to do all this other crazy shit around it to explain it and make it work. And The Shining just feels like a very like followable story. That has nuance and interest and intrigue, but isn't like, oh, we're tricking you and it's happening at the same time. Like Shelley Duvall actually, you know, did, I don't know. Because it's, you know, one of the most well-known surreal movies where people have been theorizing about it since it came out. And you're like, man, it's much more followable than The Lodge. It's so fucking easy. Although I did The Lodge like spells it out for you. This is what happened. And I did watch the documentary that uh, was like room, whatever, about how Stanley Kubrick made this movie three, seven, seven, three, two, 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 shining, shining. But (laughs) the uh, documentary where they say that Stanley Kubrick made this movie to tell us all that the moon landing didn't happen when we say it did. And of course, I watched that in like 2015 and I was like, Bro, we totally didn't go to the moon the oh first time, and I totally you... believe it. And Stanley Kubrick knew it, and he helped set up the stage. <laughs> Have you ever done Dark Side of the Rainbow? Where you play? Yes, of course I have. I'm, I'm just a making child. sure it is important that you do that at least once in your life, and you seem like the type of person that is the audience for that. Speaking yeah. of, a few years ago when I first got Letterboxd, and I was scrolling through like various people's like best horror movies you've never seen lists, just like add stuff to my watch list. Uh, one of the movies is The Shining Both Ways or something like that. It's where you have, and like, there's some of these uploaded online, but it's The Shining. It's a forward and backward layered over itself. And apparently there are like parallels throughout if you watch it both forward and backward at the same time. It's a palindrome. Yeah, just... I have not watched it because it sounds miserable to, to do, but. Yes, yes, it does. It's like um, there's a. Uh... Great. There's more deep dives of shit nobody cares about anymore. The Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie that came out in like 2008, Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters, uh, is very good, and I've seen it way too many times. On the DVD version of that, they had deleted scenes and they had a play all button, and it's just scenes tiled, so they all play at the same time. And that's what I imagine you being like, it's playing forward and backward at the same time, and it's just chaos, because you just have two images laid over the top of each other. It sounds <laughs> tough to do. Whenever someone says chaos, I think of that scene in Antichrist where the fox just goes, chaos reigns. I watched, you, this, is, this is my splatterbrain um, derailment, um, but uh, what's his fucking name? Willem Dafoe. Um, Willem Dafoe did a Criterion closet where they let him pick out movies from the shelf, and it is delightful. But him talking about shooting Antichrist and having like a smile on his face, I'm just like, there's something wrong with you, dude. But also, he keeps pulling movies off the shelf that have him in it, and he's like, it's me. It's very cute. It's like a little 
I actually, I didn't mean, I was going to say he's a little goblin of a man, and I didn't mean to insinuate Green Goblin, but it does work. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was a little more <laughs> Wario <laughs> than I would have <laughs> He did channel a lot of Wario for that performance. That's Anyways, Spider Man. We just bring up Spider Man in front of Brad again, <laughs> us. Um, there's something I was going to say about The Shining, but I completely forgot about it. Doubt uh, it. Oh, but you, but you haven't told anybody if you like Tying it. it back. I'm on the fence. Uh, okay. Tying it back to something you said earlier, Nikki, about. Um, I'm already just started screaming again, so sorry if you can hear this. Um, tying it back to something you said about Stephen King and Shelley Duvall's character being there just to scream. Um, I think that she kind of really exemplifies like the isolation in this movie because there's a scene early on where she's trying to use the radio and it's not working and she's like going through like the entire like big like catalog of channels that she can kind of communicate with and isn't able to get out to anyone so she goes over to the uh, the only working CB radio where there's only like one other channel she can communicate with and like just like just to chat to like anyone that isn't Jack or Danny. So I appreciated that watching this with this like prompt in mind. I like that sentiment because that just made me think to how like Jack, for example, you would think just on the surface trope wise that like the isolation is what drove Jack insane. But actually, he almost seems more connected than ever because of the community of ghosts and people he knows and he has a drive to stay at the hotel and it's outside of the hotel in real life where he had alcoholism and family issues and all of this stuff. So it's almost like coming to this isolated space and him being insane. Like it wasn't due to the isolation like Riley Keough in the lodge. So that's kind of an interesting parallel. And so Brad, I think you're right. It's like Shelley Duvall is like going through a tough time. <laughs> Jack's thriving really. Oh yeah. Until absolutely. he's not. He's got Lloyd, he's got Grady, he's got the naked woman in the tub before she turns into a scary old woman. In fact, he was at a party there the whole time. I've always been here. Yep. So. <laughs> Do, but what about you guys? Do you guys have a connection to this movie beyond just like, it's a scary movie that I like? It's one of the movies that is, uh, it's kind of like the horror movie that people that don't like horror movies like a lot of the times, because it's, it's like almost film school kind of, I mean, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a good example of it. So like the way it was presented to me, uh, was different when I was younger. And so the first time I saw it, I was much more, you're never going to believe this. I was more of an edgelord. Um, I was much more invested in um, fast movies that have to do with uh, just on-screen gore, etc. And so when you're however old when you first see it, like, one, it was very scary to me because I was scared of everything until I was today years old or whatever the kids say these days. But that one uh, in particular, I think I thought it was going to be really boring and I was just scared the whole time. Because I'm like, when does this guy kill everybody with an axe? But that's not what it's about at all. And that's what is kind of remembered, is him being an axe murderer. That's I'm not explaining it well, but basically my regard to this movie is me observing the outside world, appreciating it very strongly, and then 
not feeling like I had room for a personal connection to it. Like I was just like it exists. I felt like I had already seen it when I finally saw it. Which is a weird position to be in in a movie like this. I'd seen the Simpsons version first. So you're going to happen. Um, I don't. This is a movie that feels like it has been a part of my horror viewing throughout my whole life, but I don't have any specific memory like as a kid or from the first time I saw it watching it. Like, and I, I know we've talked on here before about, I definitely remember watching the made for TV version of this in the nineties. And I have a weird memory of that, but um, as an adult, I feel like this is a movie I like to come back to every couple years. Uh, My good friend, Lauren, who I used to live with, we were trying to avoid the insanity of shitty New Year's Eve plans. So we got like a drink at a bar and then order Jet's pizza and turn all the lights off and watch The Shining. And it was like the best New Year's I've ever had. But this is a movie I would love to watch this in a theater on a big screen. I think that would be life changing. I think that's really important. Yeah, I was just going to say that was the last time before this that I saw it was at the Arclight. By, by at the Arclight, by our previous I'll place. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I have not seen it in a theater, and I think if I'm going to watch it again, it would have to be in a theater for me to be motivated to do it. Uh, especially, it would have to be in a theater that's very loud. I think, or on film, because I'm uh, uh, up my own ass, so it has to be. I do have a memory. Uh, this was like a couple of years ago. Of I was going to California with a couple of friends. And I was like, oh, The Shining is like a nice, cozy movie I could just turn on on the airplane and it won't disturb the other plane attendees. And the first like 10 or 15 minutes I'm sitting there because, you know, like when you're watching a movie on the plane, you know, the unspoken, like you get very self-conscious of like, well, is there going to be like nudity or is it going to be like violent? And in my head, I'm like, The Shining should be fine. And then about 20 minutes in, I was like, oh, there's that scene. And then there's like that scene. So luckily, I think we landed before I really had to face my my fears around it. But I don't think, and that's the opposite of a movie theater is an airplane screen. So I've barely watched movies on an airplane. I don't think I've like I, I have a hard time paying attention. Um, I've, I've played a lot of video games, but like not a lot of in red. But some about tiny screens. I did. They did see Shape of Water. That's the one movie I saw on an airplane. Because they, they just played it on like a loop. Sexy Gill Boy on a small screen, eh? Sure did. Sure did. I think that watching The Shining on an air, airplane screen is the way that Stanley Kubrick intended this movie to be seen. Okay, so on next time I'm on an airplane, moon. I'll watch Killers of the Flower Moon on that screen because I know that's how Marty wants it. Watch uh, Avatar as well. Okay, good. I will. That's probably actually a movie that no, anyways, <laughs> um, do we have any last thoughts about the isolation and snowbound horror of The Shining? I do. I feel like this winter has felt very bleak for me in general. I feel like I'm lacking vitamin D, and usually each winter I'm like, I'm fine. I like staying indoors, but I have a restlessness this year that is like making me anxious being inside. And so watching these movies like hit different. So it's like, oh, this is hitting the thing that I am experiencing right now. So I think it is a 
really, really great subgenre of horror. I think it's a subgenre, like this idea of cold and isolation, where the horror is like confronting yourself. And that's the scariest thing of all. I sounded like Jack Nicholson when I said that. Did you guys think? I was going to ask if you could do a Tony voice the entire time because you feel like the person of the three of us that would do it. But Brad was just about to do it. I saw that. Brad's not here right now. This is Tony. No, that sounded too much like a scary man offering a kick. Red Rom! Red Rom! Red Rom. He's like, Mrs. Torrance. It's like a little more like this. You kind of inhale a little bit so it gets real like yeah. compressed. Yeah, it's creepy. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains and I'm going to bash them right the fuck in. Oh, I do have a really, I I have a hideous impression that I only do for Lauren of Jack in the freezer going, when do I go like this? (laughs) And I make myself as hideous as possible. Uh, Yep. That's good. I, uh, I feel like the beginning scene of that movie is how I feel about winter in general, growing up in the Northern parts of the Midwest where there was a lot of snow and I've missed it for a lot of years. And I feel like I would be really excited for the first month and then I would be super bummed about it. Um, Cause yeah, they, they talk right in the beginning of the shining about how like how, how nice it's going to be. And then yeah, you have to deal with the realities of being stuck in one place for that long. But my brain, I'm like, no, stick me in a log cabin, just up the door up to in snow. As long as I have what I need inside, I don't need to talk to anybody. I do. Me. That's me. To this day. Uh, yeah, I give this movie a thumbs up, I suppose. People should fucking see it. I'm so sick of this movie just, like, not getting any attention. <laughs> Finally, a horror podcast talks about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah, it's a little under the radar. Finally, shed some light on this cult classic. You <laughs> missed the opportunity to say shine some light. Next week on Under the Radar, we're going to talk about John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, <laughs> all right. Again, we've talked about that movie. <laughs> you make it, you're joking, but we've talked about that movie a lot. Not, yeah, not, not just a lot. I think more than anything else on this podcast. Probably. And aliens. Um, <laughs> got that one. Well, now I have more work to do. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, any last thoughts on Snowbound Isolation before we jump into, like, a, I got a would you rather for you guys. Now let's dip into the good stuff. Dip into the good stuff. All right. Would you rather be locked in a single room, like 15 feet by 15 feet, for, like, four days with Grace from The Lodge, Jack from The Shining, or Iceman from Frozen? Is she, is Grace on her medication? That's a good question. I was about to ask that. We'll say or for the first she day she gun? is. She doesn't have a gun, but we'll say she's no gun, but also no medication. I'll, I'm going to pick Grace because I easily have 30 pounds, if not 50 pounds on Riley Keough. And if she's <laughs> unarmed, fine. All right. Um. Well, okay, I'm trying to think of my three options. It was Jack, Grace, and who was the third one? Sean Ashmore in Frozen. Oh, yeah, definitely him. Yeah. I yeah, think I was going to say it. Yeah, yeah. It's the easy answer. Oh, wait, he's why would I? But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the... <laughs> All he does is climb down after getting bloody hands and then get eaten by wolves. Well, I'd have more conversation 
interesting conversation of uh, Grace's past. I think Sean Ashmore would ask you out at some point, and you'd turn him down, <laughs> and then he'd be like, I didn't even like you, bitch, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> and now I'm stuck in a room with Sean Ashmore. <laughs> Fine. Grace, Jack, and a wolf from Frozen. <laughs> what, a wolf or a wolverine? Oh, Two I'm different species, you know. I'm convinced I could, t- I could tame that wolf. Easy. You guys, for real, be honest. Pretend that we're not recording and this is a secret safe space. Did you guys know what a wolverine was versus yes. a wolf? Yes. Uh, you're talking to two guys that love comic books. I heard what, I uh, what a wolverine was, was when like I was a, a wolf. Little... It's a three-clawed Newton guy. Yes. We love Hugh Jackman. We love Lord of the Dance. Yeah, but it's like a real animal. But I thought wolverine, the character the hugh jackman it was like he's just being like a sassy wolf i know what a wolverine is the same way i know what a hedgehog and an echidna are because i was a child during the time when they were very popular characters and i was like what's that oh it's a real animal and then being let down by what the real animals are except for the wolverine those things are vicious they're They're just like angry badgers they are angry badgers did you know that a tasmanian devil is a real animal too i did okay good okay all right any other brain busters? I've been trying to remember this whole episode because I definitely had a moment where I had to admit to myself there was some piece of information that I had wrong my entire life recently. If I remember, I'll let you know. What was the Billy Madison quote I just did? Any other brain busters miss something? Not Miss Lippy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Any other doesn't would matter. you rathers, Brad? Uh, would you rather be trapped? In a, a room, 15 by 15, we'll just say, uh, with no heat in the winter or no AC in, like, really, really hot summer. I think I always say I'd rather be cold than hot, but I think I'm wrong. No, I pick no heat in the winter than no AC in the summer. Same. Because I, I go mad. Yeah. No, I get angry when I'm laying in bed and it's hot. I get mad. I get mad. Angry. Yeah. I'd say that keeps me up more than being cold. Yeah. I have a would you rather. Would you rather be trapped in the Overlook Hotel for a full month by yourself or be stuck in a one-bedroom log cabin with one person you really, really don't like? Myself, Overlook. Yeah, obviously, myself. What are you talking about? Tons of space. Do whatever. I don't want to be I would throw a ball at a wall for a month. It'd be awesome. Exactly. I would just type on the the typewriter. Nikki, I don't want to be trapped in a little one-bedroom log cabin with you, okay? Well, I just wanted to test your guys' commitment to loneliness and isolation. Boy, do we love it. What would you pick, Part of me is like, I might get lonely. I would pick my enemy, and maybe we'd be friends. I would for sure, but like, that's not the reality of what my brain does, where I'm like, oh, I could handle that, and then when I'm in the situation... Five minutes goes by and someone hasn't texted me, and I'm like, "Does the world hate me?" Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. "I'm going to be alone forever for yeah. a full month. Like that's a long time." It is a long time. Uh, when we were watching The Shining today, I said to Carl, "I'm like, you know, if for whatever reason the Stanley Hotel ever needs like a puts out like a job for like a winter care caretaker for the hotel, do you think I could sign up?" And she was not into it, so. Yeah. I can't imagine that uh, your one example doesn't paint a good picture of what that's like. <laughs> yeah, good point. Well, actually, two, because, you know, it's self-fulfilling prophecy because it happened already in the movie. The axe murder thing. Yeah. 
There's two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of axe murders, Alex, where could you find us on the. You can find us on Instagram at Splatterbrains Podcast. You can email us, brainsplatter at gmail.com. You could go to Facebook and you could type Splatterbrains. You probably want to specify podcast because I'm sure there's other stuff out there. Uh, otherwise, you can call Nikki on her personal cell phone number at Empire, whatever that eight, number is. 588 empire today. Um, that note's Stanley Kubrick uh, farted while filming the fake moon landing. Yo. Hell yes. Yeah. <laughs>